The word of the Lord from John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free... You will be free indeed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's pretty simple. Let's say that you've got a bit of wealth and you own a rather large estate. We'll make it a vineyard. You have kids and you have servants. Since we're in the 21st century, we'll call them employees. So, who are more important to you, your kids or your employees? The correct answer is your kids. For instance, if you have an employee who gets sick or injured and is no longer capable of doing the work he's supposed to do, you replace him with someone who can do the job. If you have a son who is sick or injured and will never be fully healthy, you don't fire him from the family. You do what you can to help him as much as you can, even when it changes your life. Or, if you have an employee who goofs off and doesn't do what he's supposed to do, the solution is simple. You fire him. You find somebody else. If you have a son who goofs off and doesn't do what he's supposed to do, it's not so simple because you can't just trade in your kids. You have to reorganize your life and put in the time and effort to make sure your kids turn out okay. It's called love. As I said, the matter is pretty simple. Actually, it's simpler. Because in our hypothetical, your son is, in fact, the model child who does what he's told, who behaves well, and who gets all all of his work done. And your employee is constantly working to sabotage your business because he's actually working for your rival. Who is more important to you, your son or your evil employee? One will still be in the house when the sun goes down, and it's not the employee. Now, consider Jesus' words in our gospel reading where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. When it comes to the kingdom of God, there are sons and there are slaves. Sons are family. Slaves are not. In fact, they're not slaves of God. They're in bondage to sin. By nature, they're working against the will of God and impenitently sinning against Him. They may not even know it. They may be like the occasional employee who just does his own thing at work and can't understand why he gets in trouble for failing to do what he was actually hired to do. 
There are plenty of people in the world who believe that pleasing God is a matter of living your life in the way that makes you happy, and whatever makes you happy will make God happy too. Now, that would be true if you've made yourself to be your God, but you're a crummy God because you can't raise you from the dead. When the sun sets on this world, who gets to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? It's not the rebellious slaves. It's the sons. Let's refine that a little bit more because Jesus uses the singular. The sun remains forever. It's a rhetorical device, but it still speaks the truth that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that of all of those ever to have a human nature, the only begotten Son of God alone qualifies to be in the house because of his sinlessness. Before your old Adam cries that it's not fair because he is also God and couldn't sin, you remember that he took on human flesh to save you. Sinless, he bore your sins to the cross and suffered God's wrath that was otherwise coming for you. Having paid the price, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven so that he might raise you to heaven as well. So if you're going to get into heaven, you've got to ride on his coattails, so to speak. You've got to be joined to him. And this is why you treasure your baptism so highly. That's where Jesus made it official, joining you to himself, making his death your death and his resurrection your resurrection. Your baptism is not the start of a journey where, if you get enough done afterwards, you'll eventually earn eternal life. That would be like saying to your kid, now that you're born, you could eventually become a member of the family if you work hard enough. The message parents want to send to their kids is, You are part of the family, and you'll always be part of the family unless you cut us off and run away, or you become such a horrible threat that we have to kick you out. That's why we teach you to do the right and avoid the wrong so that A, you stay alive, and B, you stay in the family always. That's the freight of Jesus' words. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. To you, he says, you're already born again into the kingdom by water and the word. You're alive. Abide. Stay in the kingdom by abiding in my word. Keep my commands so that you don't turn back to sin and become a slave to sin, because a slave does not remain in the house forever. But always remember that you're not family because of the works you do, but because I've already shed my blood to make you my own, and I forgive you your sins. Remain repentant. Abide in forgiveness. Stay in the family. That's what Jesus says. Slave versus son. It's a constant tension when it comes to sinners in Jesus. Why, you have Jesus speaking with his fellow Jews who believe in him in the gospel lesson, but they're still relying on their ancestry a little bit too much. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, they say. I mean, aren't they God's chosen people because of their family tree, going back to Abraham? No, that doesn't do it. As St. Paul notes in 1 Corinthians 10, when the Lord rescued the descendants of Abraham from Egypt and led them through the wilderness, 
He struck down a whole generation of them because they rebelled against him. So I dare say it's not a matter of ancestry or pedigree that gets you into heaven. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of abiding in Jesus' promise that he has atoned for your sins. I suppose a parallel to this is the occasional individual who says, I'm Lutheran because I was baptized a few decades back. And that's nice, but the question remains whether or not that one abides in the word. Just because Abraham Lincoln was alive at one time doesn't mean that he is alive now. Just because one was once alive in Christ doesn't mean that he abides in Christ now. It's why when such a one appears here to visit, I'm very happy that they have come. But for the sake of their soul, it's still wise to say, please come and join us for worship, but let's sit down and talk before you come to supper. It's easy to lose this truth, this life, this incredible joy that we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. It's why we commemorate the Reformation each year, because by the start of the 16th century, the proclamation of the church had eroded to the point where the church essentially taught, you are all slaves in the household of God and sinful slaves at that. However, Jesus has shed his blood to open the door. Together with his sacrifice, heaven can be yours if you work hard enough to earn your place. This message, by the way, makes a lot of sense to the old Adam because the old Adam always wants to prove himself, wants to contradict God's law that he's lost in sin and to prove that he can at least contribute to getting to heaven. Well, 500 years ago, the Lord mercifully restored the proclamation of the gospel to the church and his unlikely agent to get the ball rolling for this was an obscure German monk. Martin Luther was hardly driven by bravado. He was driven by terror. Believing rightly in God's holiness, he realized that there was nothing he could ever do to make up for the corruption of his sin. He could no more choose to make himself righteous before God than he could have chosen to be born of different parents. As a slave to sin, he could never work his way into the family of God. But then he discovered this good news in Scripture. Christ had shed his blood to atone for his sins. And through baptism, Christ had already adopted him into the family. The light went on. Christianity wasn't about doing enough good to earn a place at the table. It was about abiding in the truth that, for Jesus' sake, he was already God's own child. For holding fast to this joyous truth... For simply proclaiming what the Bible said about it, Luther lived the rest of his life under multiple death sentences. So why hold on to it? It reminds me of a similar question to the one that confronted the apostles after Jesus rose from the dead. Why hold on to this news and keep telling others about it, even if it means that people want to kill you? I mean, all but one of the disciples were martyred for proclaiming that Jesus had died and Jesus was risen from the dead. All they had to do to avoid that was stop talking about it. Whether it was Luther or the apostles, the answer is the same. They knew it was true, and they knew this truth was worth dying for because abiding in that word meant that Jesus would raise them from the dead. 
This is as true for you as it was for Luther and the Apostles. One of the reasons that Christianity seems like a quaint, take-it-or-leave-it, nice-if-it-works-for-you option is that we live in a time where it's very easy to deny or minimize the threats of sin and death, and so the cure doesn't seem so necessary when the threat is low. This is, by the way, what made COVID-19 such a trying thing. I mean, beyond all the politics and protocols and disagreements, the presence of a pandemic put everyone a little on edge because it made death more real for everyone. For a little while, at least, everyone was conscious that death could be as near as your neighbor's breath. And for some, that conviction still remains today. The truth is that death is always nearby, You have as much a chance of dying today as you did at the height of the highest pandemic spike. Not because of COVID, but because it is the Lord who numbers your days. It's the Lord who restrains death, and it's the Lord who permits death. You are far wiser to live acknowledging this, for then you are far more likely to be prepared for it. That preparation means holding fast at all times to the truth that you belong to Christ that you abide in his word, and that the kingdom is already yours. When death is near, you don't want to be wondering otherwise. I recall a theologian saying that a lot of Christians become Lutherans on their deathbed. It might seem fine to go through life saying, I've done enough good that Jesus will let me into heaven. But when death is near, your record of sin will have you asking, Have I done enough? It might seem fine to go through life saying, I know I'm a Christian because I've committed my heart to Jesus. But when death is near, you'll find yourself asking, considering some of my sins, was I committed enough? Thus, the theologians comment that many Christians become Lutheran on their deathbed. Despairing of themselves, they say, if I am to be saved, I must be saved by Christ alone. Not my works, not my commitment, not anything about me at all. That is how you want to be prepared for that day, whenever it comes, confident that salvation is yours fully for the sake of Jesus, and there is nothing left for you to do. Remember, you're already a child in the house of the Lord, and death is now the portal to everlasting life. Unless you think this is a terribly morbid conclusion, this also sets you free in the meantime to live a life as happy and joyful as possible in a sinful, dying world. See, unlike a world of unbelievers who have no such confidence, you live each day knowing that God does not hold your sins against you and that He works all things together for your good, not because you've been good enough, but because Christ has died to make it so. You live each day doing good works, not because you're under pressure to qualify for heaven, but because heaven is already yours and you're simply set free to do good. You will never find more joy and peace than knowing that you are not desperately trying to prove your worth to God, because God has already declared, you are worth the price of my son's blood to me. When you know that truth, in life and in death, That truth sets you free. That is the truth. That's the life that God gives in His Word. Abide in that Word forever.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.